Who are we living for? Who's number one in our life? You know, we live in this day and age of, of self. And I don't know about you, but uh, you, you see it all over the place. You see it on many social uh, media kind of websites. You see it on Facebook. And, and you spot it, the, the pictures of, there's one of me, there's one of me, there's one of me, there's one of me. And, and it just oozes. It's all about me, you know. Aren't I the most? You know, self is a, uh, a dead end. And we'll never find joy in self. And the Bible teaches this concept of dying to self. That's a strange expression to some of you, but it's a biblical one. We cannot be a true disciple without dying to self. That's what Christ is talking about here. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, if you would, in the 8th chapter, Mark chapter 8. Joy is what people perhaps want as much as anything, or happiness. You ask folks, what do you want? Well, I just want to be happy. Uh, Many of you remember the movie star Liz Taylor from years ago who really had worldwide fame, was a household word, and all the furs and diamonds and money and and a house on the French Riviera and all that. And she had been married, I think, seven or eight times when somebody finally asked her, what is it that you want? She said, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I just want joy. Well, is there joy in something called self-denial? That sounds like a contradiction of terms, doesn't it? Joy, self-denial. But is it really? Here in Mark chapter 8, we pick it up in verse number 27. It says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. He's talking here about self-denial and really the joy of self-denial. We're going to be talking about it as well. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we know today that uh, if we've died to self and denied self, there is great joy. It's not a contradiction of terms. Help us now to be reminded of this truth if we should know it. Help us now to embrace this truth if we've never heard of it. And help us now as a result to live for others and that we would know the joy that comes from self-denial. 
We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Many of you have heard of Eric Little. He was a runner, actually a sprinter. Back in, in the latter 19, uh, early 1900s, he actually competed as a Scotsman in the, uh, the Paris Olympics in 1924. He had a really weird way, way of running. It just broke all the rules as far as being streamlined. His arms were flailing and his head was bobbing and, and he could run like the wind. He was a born-again Christian and he uh, had the opportunity to run his race, which was the 100, but it was on Sunday. He refused to do that. Everybody thought he was a fool. Some appreciated his convictions, but most of the world just said he's a fool to have that kind of a conviction. So he didn't run the uh, 100, but uh, the next day or the day after, there was another race, the 400, and, and somebody from his team had pulled up lame, and so he volunteered to run it, and he did run it. He ran it in record time. In 47.6 seconds at that time was a world record, and it was about 15 yards ahead of the the second-place finisher who got the silver, if you can imagine that. Well, being the Christian he was when he was finished with his running career, he went to the mission field of China. And uh, about that time, um, in, in uh, March of, of 19, I think, 41, the, the war was going on as actually 43. And, of course, the Japanese took China. And Eric Little was captured. And he was placed in a Japanese camp. And there he began to witness as much as he could to everybody, but his health was deteriorating. And, and finally, in January of, of 1945, he died there in that camp. But his final words before he died to his nurse were these two words, complete surrender. Complete surrender. That's quite a thought. He lived it. Complete surrender. Who are we living for? Who's number one in our life? You know, we live in this day and age of of self. And I don't know about you, but uh, you you see it all over the place. You see it on many social uh, media kind of websites. You see it on Facebook. And and you spot it, the, the pictures of there's one of me, there's one of me, there's one of me, there's one of me. And, and it just oozes, it's all about me, you know, aren't I the most? And really, it was, it was prophesied to happen in the day and age in which we're living. You see, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 1, In the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I believe these are the last days that we're living in. I believe we we see that love of self. We've seen it all along, but we see it more than ever in the day and age in which we live. There was a British actor years ago by the name of Michael Wilde, and somebody was talking to him about actors and and just the way they were. And and, and they said, Mr. Wilde, is there some trait about actors that you don't see in other people? And he said, oh, without a doubt. He said, you know you're talking to an actor when you change the subject from them to something else, and they get this glazed far away look on their, their face and in their eyes. It's like, well, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's get back to me. Let's get back to me. Somebody so well said about the smallest package possible as a person all wrapped up in themselves. Isn't that the truth? There was a guy and he was married to this gal and she was very vain and into herself and everybody was wondering how this marriage had lasted for 25 years and finally somebody asked him, how is it that, that you have stayed married for 25 years to this gal And he said, well, for 25 years, we've both been in love with the same woman. Her. (laughs) If you can imagine that. You know, self is a, uh, a dead end. And we'll never find joy 
in self. And the Bible teaches this concept of dying to self. That's a strange expression to some of you, but it's a biblical one. We find in Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Really? Literally? Was he one of the thieves? On No. No, he wasn't there that day, perhaps. But in a way, he's telling the truth. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he says, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying here, Paul died. He was crucified with Christ. Paul had died to self. In fact, he put in just a few words over in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I die daily. I die daily. And then we read this over in Colossians 3 and verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. This is talking about dying to self. What do we mean by that? mean basically putting self to death. Self's aspirations and ambitions and wishes and plans and goals and opinions and and the things that offend us and, and not letting any of that stuff matter because we've died to self. Now, Jesus Christ is talking about that here in our text. What did he mean? We pick it up again in verse 34. It says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. He's talking here about taking up your cross and following him. The cross was a, a, a horrible mode of execution. It was a, a torturous instrument of death. If you took up your cross, you were going to die. And if we are going to follow Christ... Then, then spiritually, symbolically, yea, even physically, we're going to have to die to self. We're going to have to deny self. It's a prerequisite. We cannot be a true disciple without dying to self. That's what Christ is talking about here. You know, I, I mentioned here this last week in a message that I think any true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do something with his life. You, you, you naturally want to do something for the Lord with your life. If you don't, there's something wrong with your salvation. I think if you are truly saved, you want to bring forth fruit. I think we were saved to bring forth fruit. The Bible speaks of us being created in Christ Jesus or saved unto good works. And it's not talking about trying to get to heaven by doing good works. That's a mistake a lot of people make. The Bible is clear that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. You do not earn your way to heaven by getting baptized, by taking communion, by joining a church, by buying Girl Scout cookies, by, by helping little old ladies across the street, or any other good work, because salvation is free. Jesus Christ has paid for it with his shed blood. And when we see ourselves as lost, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners, and in repentance we change our mind about our sin and we turn to Christ and we call upon him and ask him to save us, we are born again the Bible way. But it's all by grace. It is not by works. You do not get to heaven by doing good works. But after salvation, there's something called dying to self that I want to talk to you about. Galatians 5 and verse 24 says, and they that are Christ, now they're saved, have crucified the flesh and the affections 
and lust. That means what we want, our affections, our lust. We have crucified the flesh now that we are Christ. The old passions, the old desires, the old, the old urge to satisfy self needs to die. This is Christianity 101. Folks, we can, we can wear a, a, a dove around our neck or we can put a bumper sticker of a, a fish on our car and we can talk the talk. But really Christianity 101 is all about dying to self. And we would probably, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate ourselves pretty high. Well, no, I'm, I'm not selfish by nature. I'm a pretty unselfish person. I pretty much deny self. But I wonder how heaven would rate us. Honestly, if God could score us in this area, I wonder how we would rate here. It's so easy to, to focus on ourselves. It's so easy. To, it's just natural from the time a, a baby is born. You find that it's, it's all about them. The world revolves around them. You've got to work that out of them, don't you? I have grandsons now. It's a natural thing for us to be focused on ourselves. But as, as grown-ups, we're going to need divine help and we're going to need divine grace if we are going to practice this thing of dying to self. And we just might, we just might be more inward than we realize So let's listen carefully as we look at this text here and the joy of self-denial. We see here, first of all, what I call this, this mandate of Bible commands. This mandate of Bible commands. There was a Russian years ago, he's a novelist by the name of Vladimir Nadobov, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'll just call him Vladimir. He was, he was Russian born, but he, he migrated to the U.S., he was, he was not known for his compassion. He was actually a, a pretty hard man and a very stoic Russian. But he, he migrated to the U.S. and he was into butterflies, of all things. He makes this trip out to Utah and he rents this place and he's staying in this lodge and he's butterfly hunting and he brings back this collection at night of these butterflies and he's talking to a friend there back in the lodge and he said, you know, Something strange happened while I was out there uh, seeking this particular butterfly. I was, I was going by the creek here, and I heard this groaning, this awful groaning. And his friend said, well, did, did you stop? What, what, what was happening? And he said, no, I, I was in pursuit of a butterfly. They find out the next morning an old prospector was dying down there by the creek and could have been perhaps salvaged if the Russian had stopped and, and helped him. You know, I, I think of God's people sometimes while people are are dying around us. We're chasing butterflies, in a sense. We, we don't see the big picture. We don't see what's going on. We don't see the need at hand. We're too much into ourselves and what we want. In Philippians 2 and in verse 21, it says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. How true that is. We seek our own well-being. What we want meeting our desires and our needs and not what Christ wants. You know, the Bible reads like who's who. And we, when we look at selfishness and those who really were inward, there's a lot of them going way back to Genesis. And I think perhaps the first being Cain, who had murdered his brother. And in Genesis 4, 9, the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I My brother's keeper? We're familiar with those words. They just ooze self, don't they? Am I my brother's keeper? Someone into self. It was all about him. I think about Nabal. Remember Nabal in 1 Samuel? He's the one who uh, David's men had a need and had helped him out. 
But he said, no way, I'm not going to help him out. I'm not going to give him my food. By the way, his name means fool, literally. You know, there's a a mentality uh, that it's all about me and it's all for me. And we find over in Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 6, it says, and when you did eat and when you did drink, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Boy, that's a... uh, That's a prevailing attitude in this day and age in which we live. The New Testament says this in Romans 16, 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Notice that they're serving their own belly. Self-centered people mess up simple people, by the way, by, by gratifying their own needs, serving themselves, trying to be somebody, basically. Again, Bible's full of examples of this, and I think of no better than perhaps the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the clergymen and the religious bunch at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gives to them this story about a good Samaritan. Remember that? How this, this fellow, this Samaritan, uh, had helped this Jewish man who was lying alongside the road, bleeding and dying, while this priest and this Levite are passing by. Kind of reminds you of the uh, butterfly guy there, doesn't it? And, and Christ gives that example to show the Pharisees how much they were into themselves. Here's what the Pharisees were like. In Luke 20 and verse 46, Jesus says, Beware the scribes which desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts. Me, 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 me. They were into themselves. But sadly, not just the, uh, the lost Pharisees were into themselves. The apostles were into themselves. You know, we find them on more than one occasion. I count three or four where they're arguing about something. Luke twenty two twenty four says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? Can you imagine that? Here they are walk, walking with the unselfish Son of God, the one who gave everything for everyone else, and they're arguing about who would be the greatest. But what about us? Do we find this trait of self-centeredness in ourselves? Do we, in little things, move over when we're on the interstate and there's a lot of traffic and somebody's trying to exit on and there's no spot there and we could simply just move over for them and let them on? Or is, is this our lane? This is where we're driving now and this is where we're staying. You know, if we're trying to exit onto the interstate, wouldn't we want that person to move over and make room for us? I mean, it's just a simple matter, folks, of, of thinking about others and trying to treat them like we would ourselves. We read this in 1 Corinthians ten twenty four. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Not necessarily money there, but well-being. Again, let no man seek his own well-being, but every man another's well-being. And then we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 33. Paul says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul was going after souls and not for his own well-being. He was already going to heaven. He had nothing to gain in this. But here he is giving everything he had and, and working through the night and laboring with his hands and getting shipwrecked and beat up and stoned and all this stuff so that some more people could get saved. And he said, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, he says, but the profit of many that they may be saved. He said, I'll do whatever it takes to get people saved. And he did. You know, that was his focus. 
May I say this to the Fargo Baptist Church? For 30 years, our focus has been trying to keep people out of hell and get them into heaven. And sometimes that involves a bus ministry. Sometimes that involves a campus ministry. Sometimes that involves a radio ministry. Sometimes that involves a Bible college and training the next generation. But we haven't lost our focus. Our focus has always been, like Paul's here, whatever it takes, we're trying to keep people out of hell that they might be saved. God help us to give it everything we've got to care enough to keep them out of hell. Now, really, folks, what I'm talking about here, this business of dying to self, it's so basic. It is Christianity 101, and it's basically loving people the way we do ourselves. We read in James 2 and in verse 8, If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Ye do well. So we see here the the mandate of Bible commands. But secondly, let's talk about the model of the benevolent Christ. Jesus Christ was our example and our pattern in this business of dying to self. In fact, he had joy, he had peace, he had all those things. You never doubt that as you read the Gospels. And yet he never once thought of himself. Never. It was always about others. His very mission was coming to this world to die for others. And we read this in 2 Corinthians 8 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Can we figure that out? Though he was rich, though he was walking in in the ivory palaces of heaven on the streets of gold and, and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, He laid all that aside and he came down this earth and he made himself poor, the poorest of peasants, born in a humble village of Nazareth to peasant parents. And he grew up not owning anything but the clothes on his back. And when he went to the cross, they gambled for those things. And though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. I'll say it again. He never once thought of himself. He had great joy. It was the joy of self-denial. After washing feet, the feet of the disciples, in John 13, we read this in verse 15, he said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I've given you an example. Here he is, our pattern. Here is the the model, the benevolent Christ. And we can talk about, you know, what would Jesus do? And we can wear the the shirts that say WWJD and and make much about being like Jesus. But folks, this is what Jesus was like. He was dead to self. He he lived in self-denial. And he knew great joy as a result. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, Christ said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to minister. In fact, I came to give my life a ransom for many. You know, I've been saved uh, as of last week, uh, 36 years. And I remember back in the early days of my salvation, this goes back 30, 35 years ago, there was a well-known Christian psychologist, and he was, he was on the radio. And he was promoting this kind of self-esteem thing. And a lot of, of folks in various camps picked up on it. He was, he was really into this self-love and, and uh, the core of all man's problems being that he needed approval of himself. And, and, and so he talked about focusing on yourself and standing up for yourself and, and having self-esteem. And 
feeling your feelings. Just feel your feelings and tell everyone your feelings. Is that scriptural? You know, I read over in Proverbs 18, too, that a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. In other words, here's the fool. He really doesn't want to know what, what the truth is and what's going down, where it's at. And he hath no delight in understanding. But his delight is in his heart and that it may discover itself. There was actually somebody back in those days and wrote one of these self-help books. And, and one of the chapters actually said, uh, have a love affair with yourself. Have a love affair with yourself. Folks, my Bible says to die to yourself. There is a huge difference here. This entire concept of feeling your feelings and, and you have to know what I feel like and how I think and this is just me and this is the way I am and all that. Fooey and all that. If we're dead to self, none of that matters. We're not living for ourselves. Jesus taught none of that stuff. We find here in our text in verse number 35, he says, And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. He's talking here in, in verse number 34 about taking up his cross. Notice that at the end of the verse. Following him. We talk about bearing our cross. Going through life and, and bearing our cross. What does it mean to bear your cross? You know, somebody gives up chocolate for Lent and they think, oh, boy, I'm bearing my cross, you know. I'm not talking about a mere inconvenience here. I'm talking about death to self. I mean putting self to death, plain and simple. You know, a number of people, and they just think, well, I, you know, I have to live with uh, rheumatism, or maybe you have arthritis. I understand that. I've had it for years. My dad had it for years before me. But that's not bearing your cross. Putting up with a rotten job is not bearing a cross or a rotten boss or even a difficult spouse. I'm not talking about uh, frustrations and, and irritations here. I'm talking about dying. I'm talking about being a dead man. We read this in verse number 34. When he had called the, the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Everyone there understood Roman crucifixion. And they knew that when a, a, uh, a criminal put a cross on his back and started march, marching out to the hill of execution, he wasn't coming back. He's as good as dead already. Christ is talking about that, dying, basically dying to yourself. But then he talks about the joy of self-denial in verse 36. He says, For what shall it profit a man, if, or verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life, notice this, for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. You know, people want to live, don't they? They want to enjoy their life. But he's talking here about that person who lives it up and lives for self, really living a dead end. You know, the Bible speaks of women who, who, while they're living in pleasure, they're dead while they yet live. And here we find Christ making a point in the last part of verse 35. He says, but whosoever shall lose his life, in other words, die to self for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. This isn't easy to do, folks. It might be easier to talk about than to do. As God's people, we're always looking for uh, spiritual shortcuts, aren't we? 
We're looking for quick fixes. We're, you just give me some pills, you quack, you know, and, and uh, help me out that way. And we want this lazy cure and this, this snake oil. And we don't want to have to do the difficult thing. We're kind of like Popeye. We want that spinach you just pour into our mouth and woo, you know, there we go. But this is a hard, slow, difficult, daily process of self-denial. We read over in Titus 2 and verse 12, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Denying. Notice the worldly lusts. It's going to require following Christ. It's going to require submission to Christ. In fact, notice in verse number 34, these expressions here. He says, first of all, come after me. Notice that in verse 34. Come after me. At the end of verse 34, he says, follow me. He's speaking here of obedience, following him, coming after him. In denial of self, obedience is not optional. It's a requirement because it's not about self. Self should be dead. Now, there are those who will go to that passage in the Bible where Jesus said you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And they'll say, well, look at this. He's implying here it's okay to love yourself. You should love your neighbor as you do yourself. No, he's implying we already naturally love ourselves. We don't have to work at that. And he's making a comparison. Here's the standard. How should I love others? Love them as you do yourself. But to be like Jesus Christ, self should be dead. He is the model. We read this in Philippians 2 and in verse 8. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even... Notice these words, the death of the cross. I mean, the worst way to die. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And folks, he died long before he went to the cross. Do you understand that? He was dead long before he went to the cross. I like that song, when I survey the wondrous cross on which which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And poor contempt on all my pride. Isaac Watts got it right there, didn't he? We see the mandate of the Bible command. We see, secondly, the model of a benevolent Christ. And finally, we see the mindset of blessed Christians. The mindset of blessed Christians. Somebody wrote years ago, how can you be miserable? How can you be miserable? Well, use the word I a lot. Use the word me a lot. Be opinionated. Fish for compliments or praise. Have uh, high expectations of what you think you ought to have coming. You'll be miserable. Be suspicious. Live suspicious. That's a good way to be miserable. Live jealous. That's a good way to be miserable. Be sensitive. That's a good way to be miserable. Get indignant a lot. Hmm. Get offended. Internalize. Talk about me, me, me. It's all about me. Reminds me of that little poem. I had a little party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all. Just I, myself, and me. My sa- myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank down the tea. And it was I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me, to me. Me, me, me. You know, you find that, as I said a moment ago, in little children, don't you? I, I was watching my grandson yesterday for a few hours and, and even was working on that with him, even a few months old. 
There is that me, king me, even in a child. You know, to die to self is really to to set aside me. It's to be open-handed. It's to take an interest in others. It's to look to meet the needs of other people. We read in Philippians 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Isn't that a great passage? It really is a great passage. Many of you have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller was a great man of prayer many years ago who, uh, who uh, owned orphanages and, and uh, did all that he could to feed the, uh, the, the children of, of London and that area without, without parents. And they asked him the secret of his life. And he said, many years ago, George Mueller determined that he was going to shrink and shrink and shrink and slowly die and die. And he was, he was illustrating it as he went down. And he, he, pretty soon he was down on the floor and he said, George Mueller has died to self and he dies to self every day. He said he dies to his opinions. He dies to his preferences. He dies to his plans. His will has died. He doesn't need approval anymore. All that's died. Charles Spurgeon, also from England, said this. He said, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one that I may die to self and live fully to him. Isn't that great? I'm going to read it again. I have now concentrated all my prayers into one that I may die to self and live fully to him. There were some missionaries going to Africa years ago. They were boarding a ship and the captain knew where they were going. It was the, the, the remote, dark, deep part of Africa. And he was laughing at them. And he said, you're going to die over there. And one missionary spoke up and said, we've already died here. Amen. We've already died here. Now, to the serious Christian, death to self is not optional. It requires humility. It, it, it's going to require the rejecting of the praise of men. It's going to um, require a childlike faith. And we're going to have to realize our nothingness and his allness, if you will. So what does death to self look like? What does it look like? Well, it's, it's a matter of forgetting about getting our way. We've died to self. In fact, what it looks like is a man in a casket. And you've attended funerals. We've had them here. We've had uh, coffins down here in front of the pulpit. We've had the lids open. And, and you can walk by and you can view the person in the casket. And they're not going to respond to anything you say. Uh, you could go up and try and shake their hand. They're not going to reach out for yours. You could talk to them. They're not going to talk back. You know why? They're dead. They're totally dead. They have no more opinions anymore. Uh, they don't have to work on humility anymore. They don't have to work on anything. They don't crave attention anymore. They're dead. They don't start trouble anymore. <laughs> They're dead. You know, folks who have not died to themselves can, can be very confrontational people. Opinionated people are people who have not died to themselves. People who crave for attention or, or want authority are not dead to selves. Those who are dead to themselves look to be a blessing. You know, there's not a Sunday where I don't drive up with my wife and our daughters in the car and I say before we all get out, let's be blessings today. Let's try to be an encouragement to people. Those who are going to die to themselves are going to look for ways to be a blessing to others. They're going to be up at the nursing home in their spare time. 
and trying encouraging the elderly. They're going to be at the church uh, serving in their spare time. By the way, when we empty ourselves, there's blessings a hundredfold, and there's reward in heaven. D.L. Moody, years ago, had this to say, and I don't know if I can get the quote up here or not, but he said in so many words, if you've died to self, you will never regret it. You will be the biggest benefactor of it. You will know the greatest joy from it. You know, if you're dead to self, and if I'm not dead to self, or, or if we're dead to selves, we're, we're not going to get offended, are we? A guy in the casket, it, it, you're not going to offend him anymore. You can call him names. You can tease him. You can say whatever you want to him. You are not going to get him offended anymore. If we're dead to self, we're not going to mind if our advice is ignored. The guy in the casket doesn't care if you take his advice anymore, does he? The guy in the casket doesn't care if you insult him. If his opinion is ridiculed, he doesn't care about that anymore. He doesn't get angry anymore. And if you make him wait, you know what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about annoying people anymore. He's not tempted to embrace honor when it comes his way. He's dead to self. He's not discontented over what he owns. He's dead. The guy who has died to himself doesn't complain about meals or the weather. And... um, The Christian, by the way, who's dead to self doesn't get envious. When others receive praise, they don't care. You know, if if, if Pastor Wife Wise gets the accolades, do I care? Not if I'm dead to myself. See what I'm saying? That doesn't bother me at all. It requires a self-surrender. It it requires a, a trust in God. It requires a resignation. I think of the Lord Jesus Christ who as he thought of the nails tearing his flesh, as he thought of going to the cross there, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and thinking of being separated from his father, perhaps winced a bit. But then he said, not my will but thine be done. If there's no other way, not my will but thine be done. Is there currently some type of an interruption in your plans in life and and you're praying about something that's not going the way you think it should go, and it's, it's bothering you. Or maybe even you've gotten offended over something. Maybe, uh, and, and folks get offended over anything. People aren't friendly enough in church or didn't, didn't, didn't uh, pursue them outside of church and reach out to them, or they didn't get to sing the solo uh, in church, or they're not as important as they think they ought to be, or they don't have the authority they think they ought to have, and, and they've been overlooked, and others are prospering, and whatever it might be. The man in the casket doesn't worry about any of those things. That man in the casket has no resentment toward anyone. That man in the casket doesn't have to deal with rebellion anymore. They're dead. They're dead. You see what I'm saying? If we would just die to self. That's the happy life, honestly. I think it was Vance Havner years ago who said, I've never met a man who was dead to self and wasn't happy about it. And so, yes, there is joy in self-denial. Back to our text here. In verse number 35, Christ said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. God help us to get to the place where we're no longer obsessed with self. When we die to self, I think we discover the abundant life that the Bible talks about. And I think it's the fruitful life And I think it's the happy life. And I think it's really what people want more than anything. They just don't know where it's at. God help us as Christian people who have the truth, who have the Word of God, who know where it's at to practice it. This thing called the joy of self-denial. 
You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.